Hi, this is Annie Fox for Family Confidential, Secrets of Successful Parenting. My guest today is Dr. Michelle Anthony. Michelle is a developmental psychologist, the co-founder of Wide-Eyed Learning and the Signing Smart Baby and Toddler Sign Language Program, and the author of Little Girls Can Be Mean, Four Steps to Bully-Proofing Girls in the Early Grades. This unpublished conversation was originally recorded on January 12, 2011. Welcome to Family Confidential, Michelle. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Oh, I'm excited because, you know, mean girl behavior is one of my favorite topics of conversation. And when I saw your book, uh, Little Girls Can Be Mean, Four Steps to Bully-Proof Girls in the Early Grades, I thought, yes, because most of my focus is on tweens and teens. And I know that a lot of the books out there are, are focusing on middle school and high school girls. So um, let me ask you how you got involved in this in this work. That'll be the beginning of your story here. Uh, well, my journey began actually with my own daughters. Uh, I have two daughters, one who is now 10. When she was six in first grade, um, she had actually what I thought was a lovely friendship with a very nice girl. And it wasn't until almost a year into the friendship that um, we realized that things were not what they seemed, at least not to us. Um, and my daughter Kylie was having a lot of struggles with this friend and she had felt very alone and isolated in her struggles. She had gone to a teacher a few months into the problems and the teacher had really said, you know, this girl is so nice. Are you sure you're not misunderstanding things? You need to kind of thicken your skin. And she took that to heart and really went silent and tried to solve the problems herself and felt very unsuccessful. And it wasn't until three quarters of the way through the year when I found some crumpled notes under her pillow that she'd written to herself about being very lonely um, and saying, you know, I'm, I'm so lonely. I'll talk to anyone who will listen, including lightning or a moth. Oh, oh this must have broken your heart. <laughs> it absolutely broke my heart. And it sent me a little bit into a panic. What was going on that I really had no idea what was going on. She and I sat down and it really, it was a gift in disguise that some of these struggles that our children's, that our children face really are. Um, and it started us on a journey together that, led to the writing of the book, Little Girls Can Be Mean, because what we found in our work is that so many girls are experiencing not the exact same struggle that she had, but similar struggles where they don't have the tools, they don't realize the resources at their disposal, and they don't really understand what's going on for them. Because different than I think what especially young girls in elementary school think of as the classic bully, you have, you know, the kid on the playground um, has this particular target, the target's very unhappy with the behavior of the bully, and they want to get away, and they try and avoid that person. With girls, it often is their very best friends. And um, there are sometimes wonderful things that these kids do. And therefore, they're left very confused. Is this person my friend or not my friend? And if they're not my friend, am I alone? Let me ask you about those crumpled notes, because I mm -hmm. often get email from parents who have stumbled across some evidence <laughs> that um, their daughter or son may not be forthcoming with problems that they're dealing with. And yeah. parents are, are in a quandary often about, should I read the journal? Well, I've read the journal. Okay, should I say that I've read the journal? <laughs> right, right. So I'm, I'm curious what Kylie said to you when you cop to the fact that you had seen these notes. 
She felt relieved. She really felt relieved. And I think there is a distinction here between girls who are in, say, middle school, certainly high school, in terms of a level of privacy that they want and expect. Girls in elementary school, I mean, when we get to upper elementary school, it does start to shift. But especially in those early years, they actually love the involvement of parents. They adore their teachers. They really look up to them. They respect them. They admire them. They see them. And to say demigods is probably exaggerating a little bit, but they play a very important role in the lives of young children and um, and elementary age kids. And for them to all of a sudden feel like they aren't alone experiencing what they feel they're alone and experiencing changes everything yeah. for them. Now, I, I'm wondering, you're obviously a very tuned in mom and you <laughs> you didn't that there was anything in the least bit unhealthy about this friendship with the girl and yeah. apparently the teacher was blindsided by the behavior as well. What are the signs that parents can can be on the lookout for when there's something like this going on that is not being talked about? And I think it's so vital because part of what happens in the lives of young girls, and I'll say it happens in the lives of young boys too, I think the relational aggression experience, it's very gender neutral. The way that it carries itself out can be quite gender specific. And here we're talking about girls. But the way that parents can look at their children in new ways can make all the difference. You know, when I was talking about it recently with someone, they said, oh, how did you not know? And I said, well, with the tools I have now, I'd like to say that it's much less likely that I wouldn't know. But with what I knew then, it was very obvious that I wouldn't know because she wasn't talking about it. I didn't see obvious shifts in behavior. What are the very common signs of these kinds of struggles in young children is that they stop liking what they used to like. They um, they have changes in their moods where all of a sudden, you know, they're either more likely to cry or they're more, more likely to flare into being angry. They're less patient with their siblings. They tend to... Hold on a second, Michelle. What you just described, that sounds like the onset of puberty. <laughs> well, it's so funny because that's exactly why so often these signs go unseen is because if you have an eight or nine or a 10 year old and they're doing this, you're like, oh, hormones, you know, uh-huh. I'm looking for the pimples and, you know, the crushes start being talked about. And it does often look like the onset of puberty. And we can miss it because we write it off. Or we say, if we do hear, oh, she was mean, you know, sometimes kids will say things like, oh, she wasn't nice to me, or she wouldn't sit with me today, or she's being more friends with Sally than she is with me. We sort of write that off when our kids say it to us and we say, oh, find a different friend, find someone who's nice, mm-hmm. you know, you want to have a friend who treats you well. And what we don't do is sort of stop and hear what our child's saying underneath their words or underneath some of these more what you might call coded behaviors. And that is um, the confusion that they feel like, I'm not sure what's going on with this friend. Is this normal? Is this natural? Is this something I should think about? Do I have to tolerate this kind of behavior Mm -hmm. from my friends? And when we say just find someone else, we're sort of saying, I don't have time to get into that space with you. And it leaves kids more alone. Right, which is the last thing they want because because they're probably feeling um, in some way maybe guilty. Was there something I did that's making her change her behavior towards me? Will I make it worse if I talk to anyone? And so they go underground with it. Um, The subtitle of your book is Four Steps to Bullyproofing Girls in the Early Grades. So knowing what you know now, if if a parent observes this, what's the first step that, that he or she ought to take with a daughter or son? Well, I think the four steps and what I love about them is it's a framework to use whether or not you know something's going on. Mm -hmm. And they will often, I mean, the steps will reveal things that are going on as much as help you know what to do if something is actually happening. So the four steps are the first is to observe. The second is to connect. 
The third is to guide and the fourth is support to act. So now let's back up. So when you observe, it's really a tool that you're going to use throughout the whole process, which is looking at your child as a social being in a new way. So when she has a play date over, you're just watching as you're serving the snack or if the art activity is going on or they're running out to the backyard to play, you know, who tends to be the leader in this dynamic? What role does your child play? And how does she interface with this girl either around conflict or around deciding what they're going to do? What are the topics that they talk about? Because if you listen to the conversation, you're going to get a lot of information, not only about their dynamic, but about who else they play with in school, how they tend to frame those kinds of situations and discussions. And the goal here really is you're just observing. You're not jumping in. You're not commenting. You're gathering information. You're noticing things for the first time. Then step two, connect. You're going to make a moment. Now, this could be while you're driving the dance class. This could be over dinner. This could be, you know, a set aside moment where the baby isn't crying, where you're going to connect with your child over what you notice. And the goal here is, you know, we sort of, we see something and we say, oh, my child, they're really passive. I need to help them be more assertive, for instance. Mm -hmm. And we jump from observing to guiding, you know, okay, I saw this behavior. Now I want to help them fix it. And what we miss is the importance of connecting because really until you and your child are a team, those words are going to be words that are coming at them as opposed to the two of you working with one another to learn a new skill. So when you say things like, gosh, I noticed that when Sally comes over after she leaves, you tend to fight with your brother more. Mm. Or gosh, I really saw that, you know, when, when Sally was over here, she kind of led the play and most of the things you did were the things she wanted to do. How did that feel to you? So the goal here is you're trying to help your child begin to learn how to express what it is that they're experiencing, possibly for the first time. Because girls this age really don't have the words yet to understand the role that they play in their own friendships. And until they understand that as sort of a dynamic, gosh, you know, I never really thought about the fact that we never play my game. I just wanted to be a good friend. Mm -hmm. And to me, being a good friend is doing what your friend wants to do. Well, when you know that that's the motivation behind it, you've connected around that, now you know what to guide around. A lot of times we think we know what our child needs to improve their social dynamics, but we actually don't because we're saying, oh, we don't want you to be so passive. We want you to be more assertive. Here's how to be more assertive. And really the educational piece, if you will, the guiding piece, which is the third step is knowing, okay, if if for her, it's about what makes a good friend, what do friends do in relationship to one one another? That's a different set of experiences that you and your child are going to put together in that third step. So we start observing what's happening. We've connected over what's going on and get impact, get input from our child about what they experience in mm-hmm. their own social lives, not what we think it is. Right. And our goal there is we're not, we're not judging. We're just listening. Wow. I could imagine feeling really scared when this happened, or I can imagine feeling frustrated when you thought your friend was going to do this and they didn't. What did you feel? And getting some of that language from them. Then the third step is when we know, or at least have a better sense of what their experience is, then we know where we want to go to with guiding. You know, what is it that my child is lacking in their tools and resources that I can help provide for them? And the fourth step is then allowing your child the ability to look at this teamwork that you've done. So you come up with any possible thing. So let's just, you know, go back to our example of what's going on with our child and Sally, and she's not speaking up for herself. And some of it may be, you know, that she um, really doesn't know what it means to be a good friend. And so 
then it's going to be the two of you together talking about all the ways that she can better understand what a good friend is. And then she's going to make the ultimate choice in that fourth step, what she's ready to do. And when you start, what she's ready to do is very different than what she's ready to do in six months. And that's also really important for parents to realize is that there's a growth process here. Kids don't walk in ready to do what we want them to do as the end result. They start at the beginning. And if we can give them that, then it's very empowering because I decided I could do this. I went in and I did it. And I was successful. Now I'm ready for the next thing on that list of things that's going to build me up to a stronger, more assertive person. It's really interesting, the idea of establishing a set of standards of what does it mean to be a good friend. And I think that we give girls mixed messages often when they're very, very young and say there's a toy that wants to be, you know, shared or, or we would like to see it shared one right. child takes the lead and grabs it and the feedback if girl number two wants to get it back is don't let her have it she took it first or be nice share or she's the guest in the house will do what she wants to do and and so there's that very compliant socialization that happens a lot with girls and and I think because that's not often tempered with what is what is a good friend in terms of the behavior that you see and experience and the behavior that that you give out to your friends it's it seems like it's a one way street mm-hmm. for me to be a good friend means that i do all the giving right she gets everything she wants and right. it's, and and i think that that it, it behooves parents to temper it because the way i think of it is that a friendship's a two-way street and and it needs to be teamwork. And it's very, very hard for young girls to realize it. And there's some ways that we can help that. So for instance, to do it in sort of a concrete, tangible way, and this is especially for elementary school girls, even up until they you know, leave elementary school in fifth grade. But you, you can get, for instance, two jars and you, you know, and you can do this around anything. If, if a child feels like, you know, Sometimes their friend is nice. Sometimes their friend is mean. You could do it around sort of kind and unkind acts. Here you could do it around, you know, what are the activities that I get to do that I like in the friendship? And what are the activities that she gets to do that she likes in the friendship? And over a week, um, you sort of have your child begin to notice Mm -hmm. um, for herself, you know, okay, so on the playground today, when you play the game, who made the decision about the game? And she puts a little marble in each of those jars. My friend decided, I decided. My friend decided, I decided. And it's a visual way for her to see over a collection of days. I mean, you know, you might want to do it over two weeks, but it allows her to literally check in with herself. Wow, look at that. There are a lot more marbles and then my friend gets to the side jar. And then then you go back. So you, you've observed something, right? Now, my, I give in to my friend all the time and you want to connect around that. Instead of saying, well, buck up. You got to be stronger. You say, what's going on for you that it's so important that you please your friend in this way? Because yes. until she checks in with herself and realizes it, she's going to, she could drop this friend, form a new friend, and it's not going to change this pattern for her. Exactly. So the bully-proofing aspect of these steps I think is really interesting because you're talking essentially about don't be a doormat mm-hmm. assertiveness is really important and I think it, it, it is very challenging for girls to to speak up in that way and I wanted to explore with you just a little bit about why you think young girls have this problem why it is so hard for them I mean they tell us what they want Um, Girls are usually very assertive with their moms about, no, I don't want to wear that. Um, No, I don't (laughs) like the way this tastes. No, I don't want to sign up for ballet. Um, But with their friends, all that assertiveness, which we should 
acknowledge as a very healthy sense of self seems to disappear in relation to other girls. And I'm wondering what your theory is on that. Well, I think there are two lines of thinking here. And one is that the relationship with parents is fundamentally different in the sense that there's in healthy relationships and good families, which, you know, a lot of kids, you know, for all their problems are coming from relatively speaking, good families, is that there's, there's no risk here that the relationship is going to be severed, they're not going to lose the parent. Whereas there's tremendous risk socially, especially for girls, because these are their closest friends. And there's a very real sense that girls have that without these friendships, they are alone, they Mm -hmm. are adrift, they have no one to play with on the playground, they have no one to sit and eat with at lunch, they're not going to be chosen to be paired up at the you know, math buddy pair up time. And that is incredibly terrifying to girls at the earliest ages. I mean, when they're in preschool, it's a little different because everyone, quote unquote, has to be everyone's friend. But even as young as kindergarten, it really is clear that, yes, we're friends with everyone, but no, we're not. And some girls are really going to go off and form their group and be their friends. And if you're on the outside of that, then you're on the outside of the social sphere of life. So the risk is higher. What I hear you saying Much is that, that you need to be more cautious. You need to tread carefully when you're with your friends because you don't want to have them boot you out of the friendship. They also get a lot of positive reinforcement for being nice, right? Because, you know, when you acquiesce to someone, you get a lot of positive feedback. Oh, thank you so much. Or that's so nice. Or you get that good feeling inside that I made my friend, you know, able to get the special turn that I kind of also wanted. But I can manage that feeling because the look on her face gives me power, makes me feel important. And I think that's the other piece is that even girls who are doormats, and believe me, you know, my daughter Kylie is so lovely. She is is just a, you know, an, an angel to have as a friend. But one might say that her assertiveness needs to be developed. But she, you know, when she and I have conversations, you know, so why did you give the girl the the special uniform that you've been waiting all this time to have your turn to use? And she'll say, well, because I wanted her to feel good. When she feels good, I feel good. Well, that's a really important thing for us as parents to know that our our children are getting something from the negative aspect of this relationship. Until we know that, we can't help them get that same thing in a different way. Very important. Now, here's a question. Um, I wrote a blog a couple of months ago titled it my child a bully (laughs) i read it (laughs) (laughs) and uh, man i got a lot of hits on that one and it it, it's a tough read for parents and yet i certainly wanted people to read it anyway if the idea is that there are hundreds of thousands of kids every single day who refuse to go to school because there is someone could be a friend could be a former best friend someone who is making their life miserable at school who they feel powerless in relation to those children who are wielding the power in those friendships are somebody's child (laughs) so the question (laughs) is um I think bully-proofing goes in two directions. It's not just the child who is victimized by a more assertive child, but it's also the child who wittingly or unwittingly is abusing power in a friendship. I'm so glad you brought this up because I think there's two important things to say here. And one is that what you can often find is that a child who's been wonderfully nice, so kind, incredibly passive... Uh, They finally get the gumption one way or another, either they're sick of it or something acute happens and they stand up for themselves and they don't know how to do it well. And they go way overboard the other way and they come across as incredibly aggressive, incredibly assertive um, to the point that 
they are viewed in a more negative way than all the previous acts that led up to that final move that got them to stand up for themselves. So sometimes we find that it's the nicest girls who can really be perceived as doing something viciously mean because they finally found a way to break out of that mold, but they, they couldn't step into where we want them to be, which is assertive, and they fall right into aggressive. So I think that's a very important thing for parents to realize is that really nice girls can do really mean things and still be really nice girls. Because we often want to say it's that girl, it's that family that does that. That's not my girl. That's not my family. And so we don't even go to that introspective place where we say, you know what, every single kid on this planet has done mean things and will do mean things. And that's actually not the most important piece of the discussion. What actually matters more is if we can observe it, so there's step one, connect with it and say, gosh, I know why that happened. You know, I can understand that you really wanted your friend to like you. And so you did this thing. However, so we're connecting with them. We're identifying with the, with the very good motive underneath the poor choice of behaviors. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then we say, however, this was the consequence of what happened as a result of whatever this dynamic is. So where are we going to go from here? So I feel like the more we can connect with that mean behavior and identify it and really see that there's a very good, appropriate motive going on there for most girls. I mean, there are definitely some out and out bullies out there who all they want to do is be mean and make people miserable. But more often than not, girls are looking for something, whether it's power, whether it's prestige, whether it's to feel important, whether it's to make an impression. We don't know exactly what the motive is, but when we find what that motive is and we connect to it, we can guide them in a whole new way because we're joined with them in experiencing a different way of interacting. That's brilliant. Now, what do you do in the case where you either know for a fact or suspect that your child is engaging in um, behavior that out and out hurts other people and you connect with her um, around the motive or the emotion behind it and and you normalize that emotion? Is like, sure, we all want to feel good about who we are and our status in, in a friendship that, that's totally normal and how you went about it, sweetheart. Let's take a look at, at what happened as a result of the choice you made. Right. How does one then, I mean, girls have very long memories. And I would like to know <laughs> if your daughter has, oh my God, I realized now what I did that was terrible. Yes. How do they clean up the mess? How do we advise them and support them? This is such an important piece of the process, which is that when we can realize what happened and we can say, oh, my gosh, you know, here I am trying to do what I thought was good for me and look what I did instead. I mean, I felt kind of good at the end of it, but not all that good, maybe. But my friend who I actually care about and really love is now miserable when we can realize the action then we have to accept responsibility for it. And then we need to do something to rectify. And the thing is that girls actually are brilliant at the creativity piece of this. So whether it's they write a letter or they make a friendship bracelet or they, um, they go up to the girl and they say, you know, I'm realizing that what I said could have been taken the wrong way. And I just want you to know how much your friendship means to me. And I would never want to hurt you. And I'm sorry if what I did did hurt you. That takes role playing. That takes courage. That takes a lot of feedback from the adults and other people in this child's life to say, not only is that an important thing to do, but I'm going to give you a lot of positive reinforcement for doing it because there's tremendous risk in yes. doing it. I mean, you almost feel like you're shaking even as an adult when you imagine having to accept responsibility for something you feel terrible about. Well, this is where the role modeling piece comes in because talking the talk is good, mm -hmm. but parents need to also be aware of the kind of language they use yes. in talking about their 
friends when, yes, their da- right. when their daughters are around. Right, right. It's hard to only do something when your kids are around that you don't do when your kids aren't around. It's almost easier to say, I need to kind of rethink how I'm approaching this. Yes. But, you know, even to give you, you know, example from our own life that happened yesterday, my 10-year-old daughter, we're, you know, we're always working to, you know, strengthen her and, and get her to be more sort of, my seven-year-old is very tough and we're always trying to help her soften herself. And, she's been struggling in school recently and we've been having a lot of conversations with a lot of different people that she's been a part of. And an incident happened yesterday where um, she got upset and sort of said, well, I don't care in that way. And it escalated the situation. And, you know, when she came home, she was completely confused. Why did this escalate this situation? I was just saying I didn't care. Mm. And I was like, well, you know, a lot of what you say is not your words, but it's the way your face looks and it's your body language and it's your tone of voice that you're saying more than you realize and maybe even more than you wanted to say and you know she's like well but that's not fair because that, those weren't my words and you know I said you know I had this same struggle just this week she's in a class where her teachers on maternity leave so they have a long-term sub and um, the principal had called me to say you know the long-term sub had said that you know she was worried that that there was something amiss between the two of you and I literally was like I racked my brain and I said, I cannot imagine what that interaction was. But I said to Maya, my seven-year-old, I said, you know, I don't know what I did that somehow gave that impression, but I'm still left with the results of that. And I have to figure out what my next step is, because what I don't want is for her to be thinking something that I never even meant to convey. And that this is something that people struggle with across their lives. And we're never perfect at it. But the better we get at noticing it, it gives us more choices. And, you know, relating in that way to her to say, you know, look, mommy struggles with this too. None of mm-hmm. us is perfect. All of a sudden, we lift that weight off our kids' shoulders where they're like, oh, it's okay that I don't know how to do this yet. Even grownups don't know how to do it yet. And quite honestly, you know, there's a lot of grown women out there who are really struggling with how do you have appropriate, assertive, but not aggressive or passive relationships with coworkers and with friends. And when we can take that learning piece with our child, We don't have to be embarrassed about it because what it gives our child is so immense in terms of, okay, I'm in this learning process. My mom's in this learning process. This is all part of what it means to grow up and learn how to interact with people. That's beautiful. How cool that you could share that with her at that appropriate time. And when I think about this fact of life is that we are all a work in progress here (laughs) and that we all have feelings and sometimes we misinterpret what other people say and and what they mean sometimes we interpret it exactly right and it yes. hurts us and we need to talk about what's going on so that the relationship can move forward often when i talk with girls they are so paralyzed in a a relationship that has gone into the ditch that they would rather discard it, never talk to the other person again and move on. And as you mentioned earlier in this conversation, when that happens, the likelihood of their repeating that same misstep in the next friendship is very, very high. And I'm particularly interested in what happens to what girls learn in their girl to girl friendships that they then, as they grow older, take into their romantic relationships. Exactly. I mean, and it's such an important parallel, because this is how we relate to people. This is how we manage the situation when things go wrong. And, you know, it is a delicate balance, because what we want to say to our kids is, you know, relationships aren't perfect. Friendships aren't perfect. Sometimes friends fight. Sometimes friends take advantage of you. Sometimes friends do things that feel like 
supreme betrayal. Mm. And we don't want to just give up and say, well, that's a bad friend, because the reality is that people make mistakes, us included. And if we have that ability to say, well, you know, how often have I felt this way? Is this something that feels out of character for this friend? If we can have the kind of conversations with our girls that allow them to go through that process, then we give them the gift to be able to say, I deserve to be treated with respect. I make mistakes and so does my friend. So where do we go from here? How do we make this up? to each other, where we each can say, gosh, I played a part in this because what, you know, I didn't realize that not telling you that I've been annoyed at you for the past six months was going to build up inside me, right? And there's the passive kid who, let's say, you know, finally does something. It's like, God, it's been six months now since you've been doing this to me. And the friend is clueless. Uh, They had no idea where this is coming from. (laughs) They had no idea. And so that person can accept a little responsibility. What I'm working on here is to get better at letting you know before it gets to this point, because your friendship is so important to me. And I want to find a way that we can both experience it in a positive way. So what I love about your book, Michelle, is the fact that you have concrete tools and that moms obviously are going to be learning about their daughters and the, the social milieu their daughters exist in. But we're also learning as adult women how what we model for our girls is so important. Yes. And this assertiveness stuff and the stuff that we've been talking about here about, you know, holding it in, being nice versus saying, you know, this is how I feel when you do this. Let's move forward. Let's talk about it is empowering for all of us. So I thank you very, very much for writing this. I think it's an extraordinarily powerful resource for girls and for moms and teachers, too. Thank you. Before I let you go, Michelle, I want to ask you where my listeners can get more information about this book and about what you do in general? Uh, well, they absolutely can check out our website, it, which is www.littlegirlscanbemean.com. And the book's available at you know all major booksellers. And we would just love for this tool to be in the hands of parents and educators and grandparents and anyone really who cares about the girls in their lives. Great. Thanks so much for your great work. My guest today has been Michelle Anthony. She's the co-author along with Raina Lindert of the new book, Little Girls Can Be Mean, Four Steps to Bully-Proof Girls in the Early Grades. Thanks so much for the great work that you do and for being with us, Michelle. Well, thanks for having me. This is Annie Fox for Family Confidential. To learn more about my work with tweens, teens, and parents, visit AnnieFox.com. And check out my book, Teaching Kids to Be Good People, Progressive Parenting for the 21st Century. Available on Amazon, in print, and for Kindle. And tune in next week when my guest will be Glennon Doyle Melton, author of the New York Times bestseller, Carry On Warrior, The Power of Embracing Your Messy, Beautiful Life. Until then, happy parenting. Happy parenting.